Welcome to the Officer Media Group Roll Call Podcast. Officer Roll Call is meant to inform and entertain. Now, let's get into this episode. Welcome to the lineup, Officer Magazine's roundup of this week's law enforcement news. I'm your host, Paul Peluso, editor for Officer Magazine. Filling in for our usual host, Joe Vince, who's on vacation this week. I'm joined by Frank Borelli, the editorial director of Officer Media Group. How's it going, Frank? Morning, Paul. Going pretty good. How are you? Pretty good. Yeah. So you were on vacation last week. Joe's on vacation this week. And then I get my vacation in two weeks. So it's the summertime. We're all taking vacation. As we all need and should enjoy. Yeah. And I, I hope our listeners get to uh, get to take your days off when you can. Um, it is, you know, important to uh, recharge and and uh, a little vacation helps. So. 100%. You're 100% correct. A great part of stress management. So we're going to get into uh, this week's headlines, but first we want to talk about the 2024 State of the Industry Projection Survey. Um, we sent out the invitation to uh, participate in this year's survey, and if you want to talk a little bit about Frank, about it, Frank, I know you spearhead this um, this initiative every year. Yeah, <clears throat> excuse me. Yeah, so... Um... We call this a projection survey, and you know, any, anybody can go online and look up data and information from three, four, five years ago. Um, what we're trying to do is give agencies a little more insight into where the, the industry, the community of law enforcement is going in the next year. So right now it's the you know, middle of July 2023, but for some agencies, the 2024 budget year has already started because they run July 1 to June 30th. Some will be starting in October 1st, and those are a little bit bigger agencies. They usually run with the government um, calendar, and those, the command staff at those agencies, they're already planning their budget submission. So they're already trying to figure out what are they going to need to increase, decrease, ask for extra, whatever, what initiatives they want to include. And then some folks run calendar year, January 1, December 31st, although I've never come across one, I've been told this happens. Um, so what we're trying to do with this projection survey is get an idea of what is going on in law enforcement as far as um, fiscally being impacted. You know, are, are agencies, are they anticipating an increase? Are they anticipating a decrease in budgets? If they're going to have the increase or decrease, where are they applying them? You know, whether it's going to be vehicles or salary or training or whatever. Um, are they changing firearms? What are their current firearms? What are the demographics of the agency? So we can kind of track and see how law enforcement's changing. Um, it, it is a, I'm going to say long-ish survey. It is 60 questions. Uh, however, that's 10 to 15 minutes because it's it's all click boxes and multiple choice. Now, the cool part about this is we have Damascus Gear as a sponsor this year. Um, and for the first 500 qualified respondents uh, that complete the survey. They have to answer 100% of the questions. First 500 will get a free pair of gloves, or excuse me, a pair of gloves at no cost, I should say, to them from Damascus Gear. It's a lightweight pair of patrol gloves. And then everybody who completes it, even if they're not one of the first 500, everybody who completes the survey and is qualified will uh, get entered to win one of the four full complete riot control suits that Damascus gear is going to give away at the end of all this. Now I keep saying qualified respondents. I want to make it clear. You have to work in law enforcement. You can't take our survey and be a gardener and, and think you're going to get, you know, no cost gloves or a riot control suit. That's not happening. 
qualified respondents from our law enforcement community have to answer 100% of the questions. Um, should take 10 or 15 minutes. First 500, uh, get, get no-cost pair of gloves, patrol gloves. Um, and as of yesterday, we had about 50. So still 450 pair out there to be claimed at a minimum. Uh, and then at the end, the four complete riot control suits given away, uh, selected at random from folks that have completed it and are qualified. The uh, survey is open until August 11th. So people do have a couple of weeks, three weeks at least, to, to be able to get this done. But if they want to be one of the first 500, uh, they need to go ahead and get, get on the site. And it's right on our homepage. Uh, and and, and take, take the survey for us. We greatly appreciate it. When it's all done and said, we... um do all the data mining and put out a very comprehensive report that's available online for, you know, for free download. Um, it, it's, it's some valuable information. And I think that the command staffs and the chiefs and, and agency leadership, they can use it to show what other agencies are doing and, uh, you know, use that kind of as a support for their case or justification. If they're asking their, whatever the government body is, city council, county council, uh, state legislature, when they're asking for budget requests, uh, and showing changes, they can show how they're staying with the trends as documented uh, in our survey. So that's that's the purpose. That's the process. We hope everybody uh, listening logs on and uh, completes it. Again, qualified respondents, you got to work in law enforcement. But we hope you take the time to do it. Thanks, Frank. And yeah, this we um, released the sur survey on um, on Monday, and it'll be out there for about a month. Um, so yeah, if you're interested in completing it, and go on and. Um, go and get information and, and complete the survey. So let's talk about um, some of the news from this week. Um, the National Law Enforcement Officers Memorial Fund released its mid-year law enforcement fatalities report, which um, showed an overall reduction in line of duty deaths. Yep. So, um, you know, every year, of course, at the end of the year, uh, they, they release their report, their line of duty um, deaths report, but they also release a mid-year report, which we can kind of gleam some uh, some trends from this report. Uh, this year's mid-year report showed that 52 uh, federal, state, county, municipal, municipal, military, and campus officers uh, died in the line of duty in the first half of the year, uh, representing a 66% decrease compared to the 153 officers who died in the same time period, um, same time period from last year. Yep. Uh, a couple of things here. So 25 uh, officers were shot and killed um, during the first six months of the year. That was a 24% decrease uh, year over year. And with traffic fatalities, um, 11 officers uh, were, were killed in the first six months compared to 30 over the same period of last year, which was a 63% decrease. Um, and also struck by fatalities uh, decreased by 82%. Um, from you know the same time period from last year, so you know we did we did see a big increase um, in numbers in certain areas, especially the traffic related fatalities last year. And hopefully, if these you know numbers can can kind of stick through the year, you, we we wouldn't want any extra fatalities, of course. But right. hopefully, we see an overall you know decrease from the numbers last year. Um, what did you uh, take away from this report, Frank? You know, I kind of have a feeling, Paul, like we're on some kind of wave. Uh, you know, when COVID struck and and uh, most of law enforcement activities were suspended, uh, we, we saw a huge ramp up. The, the people who 
that, you know, they realized, oh, wait, the police aren't going to pull me over. I can go 100 miles an hour. I can run red lights. I can do whatever I want to do. We saw these these kind of misdemeanor crimes, but still disregard for the law ramp up a great deal. And I think as societies tried to return to normal, you get that more and more law enforcement interactions. But you get a lot of indignation from these people who thought, wait a minute, it was OK for me to do whatever I wanted six months ago. Now you're telling me I have to obey the law again. Last year, I think we saw a heavy impact from that. I think as things continue to normalize into this year that we've seen uh, a reduction in some of those what I want to call audacious crimes. Now, for all that, you know, used to be the most dangerous thing police officers could do was traffic related, Uh, you know, on the scene of a traffic accident, traffic stop, stuff like that. Now, maybe it's the way these are qualified, but for there to be uh, the largest number uh, of those 52 officers killed in the line of duty for, for 25 of them, about half of them to be firearms related. And then if you look at the breakdown of those six were on uh, domestic disturbance calls, you know, we've always known that domestic disturbance calls are dangerous. We always know people can change their outlook in a heartbeat. That's why, you know, we get trained one of the, one of the places you avoid, you're in a house or an apartment you're dealing with a domestic, you keep everybody out of the kitchen because everybody has a, a butcher block in their kitchen full of knives they can try to hurt you with. So we know domestics are dangerous. It's it's kind of, it's very disturbing and, and of great concern that uh, that seems to be the most dangerous thing we've done in the first half of 23. Um, we've got to pay attention, though, still on those traffic-related issues, um, you know, with 11 traffic-related deaths. Uh, five of those, half of those, these are officers that died in automobile crashes, which means, well, and then three of them are single vehicle crashes. So it's eight officers um, killed in, in vehicle crashes, three of them by their, by themselves and five involved with other vehicles. When we respond to emergency calls and we're exceeding the speed limit and, and typically what we consider safe conditions, we really have to pay attention. Um, you know, I hate to admit it, but one of my favorite TV shows to watch is is the newest variation of SWAT. And one of the things that that uh, one of the characters, Hondo, says is never be in a hurry to die. It's the first lesson, never be in a hurry to die. And if, if you're, the, the, you know, the way they said in the Academy is you have to get there alive to do any good. So, you know, I encourage officers, uh, obviously, we have to drive in emergency conditions. We have to exceed the speed limit. We have to go through red lights. We have to run stop signs. We have to do all that stuff. But I would remind all of them, every officer listening and share it with your partners, you got to get there alive. So while you have the authority to do those things, uh, while you're responding in, in emergency conditions, that doesn't mean it's a good idea or that you should without regard. You, you got to get there. Pay attention to your safety. Go home at night is, is the very first concern. Um, and then the last thing I want to comment here on Paul is uh, we have eight that died from um, fatal medical events. Um, you know, stress management is is a big part of what we do, or it should be a larger part of what we do. Fitness and, and relatively healthy living. I, I live by the 80-20 rule. 80% of the time I try to eat clean and exercise. 20% of the time I can slack off. Too many, too many of my peers uh, are living a 50-50 rule or a 30-70 rule, and, and you know, it's it's part of their stress management where uh, they don't exercise. Sometimes that's because of fatigue and overworking. Sometimes it's just because they don't care. It's apathy. 
Uh, you know, we have a hard time eating healthy because we're working and there's not always healthy food to eat available out there. And we're too lazy to take our own food with us to work. We got to do better. Uh, you know, it, it, medical events are inevitable, but we've got to do all we can to prevent them. And I encourage you officers uh, in line of officer survival, in line of stress management, in line of general quality of life, pay attention to your health. Uh, try to eat clean. Try to exercise. Talk to people if you need to talk to people. None of us needs to be dying out here of a heart attack or a stroke. Uh, we, it, it's avoidable, and we can do a better job of it. So, uh, I get off my soapbox, Paul. That, that's what. That's what. Those were my takeaways. Thanks, Frank. And yeah, I think from um, you know when these numbers are released, you can really um, glean some of the the trends from them and be cognizant of of the dangers out there. And of course, you know there are many dangers out there, and you you know officers just need to be safe. So um, let's move on to the next uh topic here the uh greensboro north north carolina department um greensboro police department in north carolina uh assigned 10 officers um brand new take-home patrol vehicles yep. uh after an 18 month delay caused by uh supply chain issues and basically this was uh approved back in um Sorry about that. Back in 2021, um, the the money was set aside. They made the order, but basically Ford took a, a very long time getting this these vehicles um, to them. And so what they were approved money for uh, 20 new vehicles and the department itself wants to you know, purchase 100 new vehicles within the next five years. But as we've seen um, since COVID, supply chain issues with some of these vehicle manufacturers and then um, couple that with the time that it takes to upfit these vehicles really, um, really cuts into, you know, what police departments are able to get um, and, and what they're able to switch out as far as old vehicles and um, in the time that it takes to get these vehicles to the street. So, Frank, if you can talk a little bit to that and also the the importance of officers having take home vehicles. Well, and, and that's where I think the bigger story is, obviously. Um, you know, in today's day and age, as we say, that, that to have um, the supply chain issues is not a surprise. Uh, I don't know if there's still a microchip shortage. I imagine that that supply is almost finally being caught up. But now even commercial auto dealers are having a hard time getting in new inventory to sell. And they're kind of living out of their used inventory. The challenge with the law enforcement agencies is, especially if you have a pool car fleet, these cars see really heavy duty use. Uh, they get abused and neglected uh, just by the nature of the work. So it's it's not a surprise to see agencies, uh, you know, these kinds of delays in getting cars. I think the bigger thing, especially for places like Greensboro, where they're competing with nearby agencies, they're competing with, with nearby agencies for personnel. Um, you know, everybody still has a recruiting and retention problem. So if you have agencies that are close together, and they pay relatively the same, but one of them can offer a benefit of a take-home car, personally assigned car, and the others can't. Well, that that's a big perk. That means I don't have to put miles on my own personal vehicle, and I don't have to put gas in my own personal vehicle, and I don't have to risk my own personal vehicle being uh, torn up going to and from work or sitting in a parking lot. So it, it really is a big benefit. Um, so for Greensboro to be able to do it, that gives them a great competitive edge in the recruiting and retention for you know other agencies. Um, that are paying comparable in that same area. 
the other side of that is that the fleet will last longer and will look better because when you have a, a pool car, you know, I drive a car eight hours. I know when I get out, the next guy's getting in, he gets it for eight, then somebody else gets it for eight, and then I get it back. Um, you know, if, if officers are considerate, everybody cleans their own trash out, somebody will wash it, it gets maintained. But in general, it's it's just another tool. And at the end of the day, when it's broken, we go get another tool. It's no big deal. When it gets assigned and it's your personal vehicle, then you take care of it. You keep it cleaner. You, you're, you're doing more preventative maintenance on it as far as checking the oil and the tire pressure and making sure your stuff in your trunk is squared away and your gear's right. It's, it's a different world when it's personally assigned, and then those vehicles last longer. So what we saw, uh, agencies I worked for had personal take-home car programs. Um, the, the fleet overall fleet costs actually went down over time because the maintenance costs were not as high. They were more controllable. So I think this is great for them. So the next story, Frank, is um, out of the Dallas Police Department. So an officer was uh, suspended for um, five days after investigation concluded that um, a challenge coin that he made and tried to sell uh, to other officers was uh, seen as being racist by the Black Police Association. Um, basically, you know, what what did you take away from this story? Um, you know, this officer tried to basically... Um, uh, create this coin that had the Dallas police insignia on the front of it and um, in a saying on the back of it that was seen as being racist. Uh, what kind of lesson can, you know, I guess other officers get from, you know, trying to maybe doing something that they might be see seen as being um, funny. They think or it's the, funny, but somebody yeah, else some, something that and then someone else doesn't. Yeah. I think that's the big thing. Not only with say, doing something like this, like actually creating a, a challenge coin, but, you know, even Facebook posts or stuff that goes on social media or maybe something that's done around the station. Um, what, what can other uh, officers take away from this? Incident? Look, there's, there's a little message here and there's a big message here. The little message to me is this officer thought this was humorous and he thought it'd be a cool idea, but he did two things wrong. Number one, probably without authorization, he used uh, the badge from the agency <clears throat> to put on a coin to sell to make personal profit. Pretty sure agencies frown on that everywhere, coast to coast. So number one, don't do that. Number two, you know, we live in an HR protected world. And if somebody can be offended, they will be offended. So what, well, the back of this coin, he thought it was funny uh, or ironically humorous. I mean, it, it, apparently it depicts reality, but that, aggravates a few people and somebody saw fit to complain if somebody can complain somebody will complain it, it, you might think it's funny but it's going to bite you in the butt that, those are both little messages here's my bigger message and this is what really bothers me okay my last name is Borelli uh, I, I was raised in an Italian family right I never belonged to the Italian FOP um, I was an adopted kid my, by, by birth by my bloodline I'm Irish my last name my dad's last name was McLaughlin I never joined the Irish FOP. I belong to the Thin Blue Line family. Um, I think the bigger message here, the bigger concern for me personally, and that I'd like to share is that law enforcement needs to stand together and united. We need to be able to talk to each other. I mean, I know it sounds the old way of doing things, but if you have a problem with a brother cop, you take him aside and you talk to him. 
And if it's going to come to blows, you take him out back and the best man wins. And, and then you go back in and it's all done. And then you have each other's back. I'm not encouraging that, but it's a point I'm making. It, it I would think a bigger concern would be that there's a Latino law enforcement organization and, and a, a black FOP and the Black Police Association of Greater Dallas. And why do we divide ourselves when we need to stand united against the people that hate us in society, the people that want to do us harm in society. We don't have time to be bickering individually amongst different demographics in law enforcement. Guys, girls, all of very, we are all blue. We're part of the thin blue line family. We need to quit bickering amongst ourselves and stand united. That to me is the bigger concern and bigger message out of this particular article, Paul. And, it, and I'll put this out there. I, I know there are people who disagree with me. If you want to send me an email and explain to me why I'm wrong without just calling me a plethora of names, it sounds like you're a sailor who's been drunk. My email is frank at officer.com. I'd love to hear an opposing outlook that's intelligently articulated. I think we need to stand together. I think the thin blue line is a family. And while we bicker amongst ourselves, we shouldn't be attacking each other like this. This is unreasonable to me. All right, I'll shut up and get off my soapbox, Paul. That's okay, Frank. And yeah, I, I think um, when you see larger police departments like the LAPD and the NYPD, and in this case, the Dallas Police Department, um, you know, it's a lot of officers. Uh, unlike, you know, we always talk about a lot of the police departments in the U.S. are small departments, you know, 10 officers, 20 officers. And uh, the, this year, you know, talking about thousands in some cases, um, it, it's a uh, yeah, I mean, it's understandable that the history goes back way back and that, you know, you have different factions and um, and a lot of times, you know, if, if, you know, when officers unionized, if, if uh, you know, a given group could look out for, you know, a, a given group of officers, it's probably a, a lot to do with it. But, um, but yeah, like you said, when, when we get into, you know the the new era of things that things aren't like they were you know a hundred years ago. So yeah, there's a lot a lot of things to keep in mind. Um, I I think a a good point here too is like you said, um, most departments wouldn't want you just using their insignia on just anything. And and since this incident, the um department instituted a new policy that prohibits the use of the Dallas police insignia without approval from the chief and the city manager. I, I'm that just surprised that this wasn't. I mean, yeah, exactly. I'm, I, I, I'm surprised that that wasn't in place to begin with. I'm pretty sure it's in place at the LAPD and the NYPD. Yep. Um, because they, you know, they they've had tons of issues outside of the department. People using their uh, insignia. Oh so, yeah. Uh, so yeah, no. So I, I think it is an interesting story and something to definitely take a look at. Um. The next story we wanted to talk about is the opening of the U.S. Marshals Museum in Arkansas. So this museum opened on uh, July 1st, and it's a highly interactive and engaging museum experience that tells the story of the marshals. And, um, and yeah, it, it opened up um, uh, in Fort Smith, uh, Arkansas. And I, I thought it was interesting that, you know, this is a law enforcement museum that's not opening up in Washington, D.C., or around the greater Washington area, that, that this is opening up in uh, in Arkansas that has a rich history of, of the marshals. So yeah, if, and I think that's uh, 
Yeah. I think that's why, Paul, because when you exactly. think about it, people think about marshals. They don't think about D.C. Oh, yeah. They don't think about today and the, the Bureau of Prisons and all that. <clears throat> they think of, you know, the old West and the marshals and everything they did in the history of our country. So I'm sorry. I know I interrupted you, but I, I think that's yeah. why they put it out there. Great. And yeah, the, the you know, this was um, designed and, and created with uh, the Thinkwell group. Um who creates museums like, like this. And from seeing some of these pictures and stuff that, that came out of this, um, it's very comparable to, you know, the law enforcement museum in DC, uh, a lot of these different exhibits and, and, uh, things that they, uh, artifacts and whatnot that they have in this museum, it looks very cool. And, you know, if anybody's in the Fort Smith area, definitely go check it out. I think it's awesome, Paul, because, it, number one, it is very interactive. Number two, it talks about the entire history. Uh, and one of the people they name is Bass Reeves. Um, Bass, just like the fish, Reeves, R-E-E-V-E-S. I encourage people to go to officer.com and search for that. We used to have a series called Legendary Lawmen, and he was one of the one of the uh, lawmen that w- was written up and, and featured. He's uh, They've made a whole movie about him now. Um, I think this is a great example of the pride of the Marshal Service. Uh, and and kind of their outlook on how they want the public to understand who they are, where they started, where they come from, uh, how they grew. I mean, people don't realize it, but President Washington, uh, you know, was the first person, he, you know, he appointed the first U.S. Marshals. Uh, you know, every territory used to have a marshal and then you had deputy marshals and all that. Um, good friend of mine, the U.S. Marshal. Funniest thing in the world, his last name's Law, so he's Marshall Law. I think that's hilarious. But um, I, I think this is a great, great, great thing to see, Paul. And I'm I'm going to shut up. I know we have uh, one more item to talk about before we end this week's lineup. So I, I think we probably need to move on to that. Yeah, no problem, Frank. Uh, again, you know, if you're in that area or if you're online, um, check out the U.S. Marshals Museum in Fort Smith. It, it definitely looks uh, cool. Oh, yeah. So our, our last item, and we always like to um, end with something more lighthearted here, is the Popsicle Patrol in Mount Juliet, um, Tennessee. So the Mount Juliet Police Department every summer loads up coolers. Um, they get a couple officers on a gator and and head around to local communities, and they, they hand out um, popsicles to, to the kids um, while school's out for summer. So, yeah, we, we always talk about, Frank, just finding ways to connect with the community. Uh, this is a pretty cheap, easy way to get officers out there in the community to interact with uh, residents and with the kids and kind of show, you know, that, I guess community strength, but also um, the good side of police and just connecting in, in the right way with uh, local residents. Oh, yeah. And you know what? Especially, they don't do it for just children. If you read the article, there's a, a they see a FedEx guy out, and it's a hot day, um, and I think they unintentionally scared him. But they're they're giving him a popsicle, um, and it's a good way to connect with the community. Um, obviously, they focus on kids, and and I think this is fantastic. Because and I used to hate to hear this on the street. You get the parents, their kids are misbehaving, and they say, "Hey, you you behave, or the police officer is going to arrest you." Or I'm going to have him take you away or something else that, that's just, forgive my language, it's just ignorant. I mean, parents threatening their children with the police when they should be telling them, when you need help, go to the police. The police are there to help you. This is the kind of thing where 
it's it's really hard for a child to be scared of a police officer when this police officer is handing them a popsicle on a hot summer day. Uh, this, this is a great community connection uh, tool, and I, I absolutely love it. I the, the fact that they're doing this is fantastic. Great, Frank. Well, I'd like to thank all of our listeners for uh, listening in on this episode of the lineup. And uh, again, um, this episode, uh, episodes of the lineup drop once a week um, on Fridays. And hopefully you'll give the next one a listen as well. And have a great weekend and stay safe. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the lineup. Please remember the opinions voiced are not those of Officer Media Group or Endeavor Business Media, but only those speaking those opinions themselves. Thank you and stay safe.